Here it is. Again. One, two, three, I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. And welcome to another bonus episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. We are covering more albums from the 70s that we missed the first time around. Uh, (laughs) We got a lot of albums to cover, and so this is definitely going to be a two-parter. Let's just start things off with a little taste um, this is actually a, a band that we have talked about before called Rob, you go ahead and say it because I can never get the name of this band, right? <laughs> Grupo Sportivo. Grupo Sportivo. Someday, eventually, I mean, I, I eventually got, uh, Lene Lovich's name, right? So it's conceivable that eventually I'll get this band, right? <laughs> Um, we talked about their second album, uh, um, called, what was that called? It was called back to 78, which Mm -hmm. actually had one of my favorite songs of 1978 on it, a song called disco really made it. So now we're playing catch up, um, for their debut album called 10 mistakes. So let's listen to a song called dreamy. No excitement when I'm dreaming. This is a probably a pretty good song to start everything off with. It kind of gives you a flavor of what a weird playlist this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And we will, we will um, in a couple of minutes, we'll circle back and start talking in more detail about this album, the debut album called Ten Mistakes. But first, uh, let's just uh, get our bearings here. Um it's good to, t- to talk to you again, my friend. It was great seeing you face to face. Yeah. Oh, man. What a great visit we had. You know, kicked back, yeah. had a little pizza, hung out. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it'd been a long, like it had been a long time since we'd seen each other, right? It feels like it'd been a while. A couple years, maybe? Uh, yeah. I think, I think I've only, this is the second time I've seen you since we started this podcast. And the yeah. first time yeah. was just... Um, just a month or two after, um, our debut. So 
it's been close to two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, what great. a great time. I was, I was really stoked and, uh, you know, just, just happy to see you. It was good. And Rowan showed up too. I was, was there. I was yeah. not expecting that. That was, it was fantastic to see yeah. her as well. Nice. So my friend, uh, we have a, a weird playlist. <laughs> I second that. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's, I, I started to say it's kind of surprising that we missed this many albums in the seventies. And then I hear it and I'm like, I, I think a lot of people might have missed these albums yeah. in the 70s. You know what? I was I was thinking the same thing. I, I don't want to speak for you, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is true. Both of our assessment is that not necessarily this playlist, but this list of albums might be the weakest set that we've ever had. Probably, um, yeah. And... I think that while that doesn't bode well for the next couple of episodes so much, it's actually a pretty good reflection on us just having our shit together mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we started from scratch. We built our database up um, like independent of we didn't like grab a list and just go off that list. We just built it completely from scratch. Yeah. And the fact that we got from 76 uh, through 79, and obviously we miss some albums, but when we go and actually listen to these albums, it was nothing, nothing major fell through the cracks. You know, right. there's, I, I'm feeling pretty darn good about like where we're at. Um, and feeling pretty cocky about jumping into 1980 <laughs> when that when yeah. the time comes. Yeah, for sure. It is uh, our sy system. I feel like has been like tested, and it's yeah. tried and true at this point. So, very happy. Knock on wood. I mean, talk about famous last words. But um, well, you yeah. uh, you know, we say that we cover the most notable albums of mm -hmm. 76 through 86, and I think that's what we've done. Now there are yeah. a couple notable albums in here, at least according to you know critics and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But uh, like you said, the playlist is the weakest. I think the albums that we have covered and and will cover are probably the tops. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this is still going to be fun to talk about. I'm stoked. Yeah, it, it is actually um, I wouldn't call the playlist, the songs that we're going to listen to tonight. I wouldn't call them particular, particularly weak. Well, not the playlist. We yeah. really had to, to search. I mean, we kissed a lot of frogs, metaphorically <laughs> speaking, before we came up with any yeah. gems. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's. Yeah, it's just a it's a weird batch of albums, but it's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. um, and uh, it's been a very um, educational and edifying couple of weeks for me diving into this stuff. Um, yeah, so before we circle back to um, our first album, I just want to remind everybody that. Uh, we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately we are here to um, celebrate this extraordinary music that was uh, created during a pretty unique period of time. So, uh, speaking of which, Professor Rob, I would like you to now summarize the entire 1970s for us. 
Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shit happened. There was some great music. Uh, some things went down in the world, military coups, wars, uh, you know, oil spills, all kinds of stuff. Um, what a, what an era. <laughs> and apparently we missed some albums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. Good. Yep. Okay. Anything you, oh, another thing I want to, I, I want to, uh, point out is, um, more than a couple of these albums, you managed to pick my least favorite song. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to the point where it was like. Wait a minute! Did he pick this just because he knew it no, would irritate the hell out not, of me? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, a lot of times, I picked the song because it was the most interesting. Now, that doesn't mm. mean that I liked it the most, or mm. that I even thought it was a great song. I just figured, you know, the rest of the album kind of made me sleepy, and this one kind of woke me up and and made me notice it. So, that's really how I picked the the songs on these albums. Yeah, you know, and to be clear, we're kind of like bagging on this these sets, the set of albums a little bit, but it's just they're they're albums that don't really, I think, fit into our tastes as That's much. Exactly. But I, yeah, I I think there are some people that that might really love it, like our buddy um, Tony. If you probably remember his his top ten list for '79 had. Um, a lot of the um, albums, you know, fitting in the angry young men mm -hmm. um, category mm -hmm. of uh, post-punk. And there are a lot of albums that we're going to um, uh, discuss tonight that fall in that category. So this might be, this might be, for someone like Tony, this might be like the best playlist ever. Right. No kidding. You know, yeah. we had a, a I, I think I mentioned some people that stopped by and told me that they really enjoyed the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those people, he is a big fan of uh, the album Marquee Moon by television. Mm -hmm. um, and where he and I agree on a lot of stuff, there's some albums in here that hit a sound profile that I think he's really into. Mm -hmm. And and though I don't care for the album or the sound, I think he might really be be uh, be into it so he's listening now i think he'll get something out of this episode for sure cool yeah so we don't want to scare anyone off um, but we are we've decided that we are um going to lean in on the fact that neither of us are too thrilled about this and just kind of have some fun with it and uh so the disclaimer that i gave a little while ago really like Double, triple it. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it in in the front of your mind throughout. Take it to heart. We're not slamming on you at all. <laughs> yeah. And we have um, 16 albums that we're going to cover. So this is definitely going to be a two-parter. I, th I think we're ready to jump back into it, right? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so Grupo Sportivo's Beauty. debut album, 10 Mistakes. Um, we kicked off the show listening to a song called Dreaming, which actually got um, a little bit of U.S. Um, college radio play at the time, which is baffling to me, but hmm. that's what I'm told. Um, it's kind of a fun little song. Um, so they are of course we we have talked about this band in the past um i think in 70 
eight, we took a look at their second album called Back to 78, Mm -hmm. which had a couple of like stellar songs, but was really uneven. Um, So they are, they were a Dutch band. Um, This album was actually in 1978 was voted. um, The, the UK's radio and records voted them the top newcomer of 1978. They actually had a fairly sizable hit um, in a few European countries off of this album with the song called beep beep love. So, Rob, how are you feeling about this album? Okay, so listening to the the album Back to 78, I got to say first off, I like that album better. Um, mm-hmm, me too. It, it, it had some really bizarre but uh, enjoyable tunes on it. Uh, not that this album doesn't have any enjoyable tunes, but it it had like a a vibe that really fit with my style a little bit more mm-hmm. kind of a chaotic, but, but fun style. This one, it doesn't really do it for me with the exception of dreaming, which I think dreaming is a really cool song. The vocals are a little bit, the, the guy sounds disinterested, but it's got that like kind of echoey new wavy kind of sound to it. Mm-hmm. Not crazy, not crazy about the uh, instrumentation at all. Mm-hmm. I, not a fan about that music. I just, you know, I could do without it. Sorry, are you speaking specifically about this song or just the entire album? This song, but this song, but it does carry throughout the entire album. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a sound that, I, you know, I don't know what they were trying to, I don't know. I don't know what they were trying to do here. And now this might be why you're surprised that it was a, a, a big hit on college radio. because It, it wasn't it a big like, hit. Oh, you know okay. What? So you it said it was. Did get some radio play, radio play. on okay. college radio yeah. at the time, which I was not expecting. Uh, yeah. But but not not a big hit. Definitely not, not a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the album, I, got, I can only say, eh. <laughs> you know, it's just solely so so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would call this, and I'm looking at my notes here from uh, the first time that I listened to this album. Um, it's light, it's quirky, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it's full of like little ditties, they're slight, but I would call extremely likable. This is a very likable album. Um, unambitious, little flights of fancy. This is yeah. one of those albums, like, you first start listening to it and there's like a hundred percent certainty that you're not going to get all the way through the album without hearing some kazoos. <laughs> it's just one of those <laughs> albums, right? <laughs> oh boy. I know there's some, some kazoo coming. There's gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough. <laughs> sure enough. Yeah. There it is. It could have only been saved by cowbell. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm sure there's some cowbell in there as well, although I wasn't listening to it. Okay. Uh, any last thoughts before we move on? No, no. Uh, again, well, except maybe again, "Dreaming" was a great song. I mean, I I found it fun. I I I enjoyed it. Um, maybe yeah. if it we're on a compilation. You know, I think what excites me most about um, these albums that there are a few bands that I get excited about 
not so much because of what I'm hearing here, but because my imagination is sparked about like, what are they going to sound like in the eighties? You know, once they get a couple more uh, albums under their belt and the, and uh, the direction of new wave kind of solidifies, what are they going to sound like? Uh, And I am being very disciplined and not peeking forward, but um, this band, uh, Greppo Sportivo, is one of those those bands. It's like, I really want to hear the next album that yeah. they put out. Yeah, for sure. So. Cool. All right. So moving on to our next album, uh, we're, we're going to talk about Kraftwerk's, Kraftwerk's album, their sixth album, in fact, Trans Europe Express. Um, it was produced by Rolf Hunter and Florian Schneider. Uh, there were some a couple of singles on this album, Trans Europe Express and Showroom Dummies. And, uh, of course, you think about Kraftwerk and you think, wow, these guys are, are trailblazers. This album has been called the most important album of the last 40 years by the LA Times in 2014. Now, to think about that, how we, we were like, eh, these so-so albums the most important album of the last 40 years. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) And also many people feel that this is the album where Kraftwerk nailed, really nailed down their signature sound. So, um, so let's go into some, some music from Kraftwerk's album, Trans Europe Express. This is a song I picked and it's again, it's the single off of the album, a tune called Showroom Dummies. We start to move Break the glass. We are showroom dummies. We are showroom dummies. song that i was i was gonna pick this was really my only choice off of this album i I feel like (laughs) it's the the highlight on this album Mm -hmm. so we have um you know craft work we really bungled it with with craft work um and we have talked about that in the past Mm -hmm. so yeah hope hope you you said this is their sixth album yeah march of 77 it was their sixth album yeah, so chronologically, this is the first Craftwork uh, album that we're discussing. But we actually discussed their next album, the the album that they released in '78. Mm-hmm. Um, I am blanking out on the name of that album, um, but it had had the song "The Model" on it. Yeah, 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 um, right. So we have. So we're kind of looking at these out of order, but I'll tell you, this album sounds 
much m- more evolved mm-hmm. and developed than the album that they released. I-, I like this album quite a bit better than yeah. the the album that they released in 78. And um and this is the album that of craft work that I've heard so far. This is the album where the sound I can draw a direct line from the sound that I'm hearing here to a lot of the new wave synth bands that oh, yeah. I will grow up loving. Like mm-hmm. I and some actually this song here, I am hearing some like, oh, Depeche Mode, particularly right. early Depeche Mode. Yeah. Heavily, totally. gotta be heavily influenced by this album. This is compared to their 78 release, this this is more melodic. It's it's a little bit more symphonic. Um, I guess my biggest critique is the songs are so damn long. They just yeah. like suck the life out of every song because it just goes on forever. Well, like like I'd said, uh, this is kind of where they nailed down that sound. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. noted that Trans Europe Express is the album that uh, that basically converts musicians to electro pop enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, oh, I, I also find it interesting that. Uh, there was something that took place with this album. So previously they've mixed English and German um, uh, lyrics into their Mm -hmm, albums mm -hmm. Uh, with this album. They didn't do that. They actually recorded an English version and they recorded a German version. Mm. So, um, but at any rate, uh, they also claim that they were highly inspired by David Bowie and Iggy pop after meeting them Mm -hmm. for this. So, yeah, so the 1978 release that we um, talked about a couple of seasons ago was The Man mm-hmm. Machine. Right. Um, and that was obviously a stylistic choice that they made. Um, the if I rem- It's been a long time since I've listened to that album, but the music was a lot sparser and it was a lot more sort of like mechanical herky-jerky, which actually yeah. makes total sense for the theme of, the album right down to the title i just this album sounds a lot more accomplished to me and it doesn't doesn't surprise me that it is singled out as as maybe their most influential album yeah nice so we will moving forward every time a craft work album comes out we will be covering it so we are on track on the straight and narrow with Kraftwerk moving forward. Yeah. Sorry, Kraftwerk, if you're listening. We, we're trying to fix it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going from one band that we kind of like fumbled uh, at the beginning to another is the Dictators. So we have been aware of the Dictators, but for some reason we kind of missed that they had more than one album that was released. So on their, (laughs) their third album, we actually covered that in 1978 as well. Uh, But now we are circling back and talking about their second album called Manifest Destiny. Um, This was their like 
most successful album here in the United States as far as like chart action, where they hit 193 on the Billboard charts. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and listen to the song that I picked off of this album, a song called Science Has Gone Too Far. I'm not a Dictators fan, um, but I have to say that I like the other album we covered a lot better. Um, yeah, you know, me too. I mean, good on you for picking this tune, but to me, this is a rock album. You know, it it, it really just sounds like a rock album. And, um, uh, it is a power pop album. Oh, is oh what excuse, it is. excuse, excuse <laughs> me. Well, I'm looking I mean, here. So the bassist that's featured here, he goes on to be in Twisted Sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we got Ross, the boss. Remember we talked about him before yeah. who, who, who goes on to form the band man of war. Yeah. Um, you know, it's now, okay. So uh, power pop, this is a, is a weaker, it's a weaker album as far as the, that mm-hmm. hard edge sound. It's not yeah. quite Rocky. You're right. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly not a punk album. I, I have a hard time. <laughs> you know, I have a hard time with that myself. This is a, power pop rock album Mm -hmm. that's what they're going for um obviously and the thing that i find most disappointing about this album although power pop is not my thing so um but the song the dictator songs that i've really gravitated to have had a lot of humor and there is not much humor in this album. Uh, It's okay. So, um, I, would you agree? I mean, yeah, yeah, no. Well for me, okay. So for me with this album, I, I'm a big fan. Let me tell you, I listen to the album and I hear a familiar sound in there. Okay. And this is before Mm -hmm. I did any reading on the album or any, Mm -hmm. any kind of research at all. I'm a big fan of, uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Okay. Huge fan. I, I've been to see them in concert. I love the mm-hmm. band. To me, this sounds a little bit like Blue Oyster Cult. Like wannabe Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Yeah. No, right? exactly. Not, it, they don't sound like Blue Oyster Cult enough to, for me to go, oh, this is great. No. Well, and, and <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult does this type of music way better than the, way the better. dictators yeah. do. Exactly. But what what I found interesting when I did my research was that their, uh, their producer... Um, they're, they're both of their producers worked with Bloister Cult. Um, so that's probably where that sound, where that sound came from. But again, this is an album that is, could be good on one level, but it doesn't quite touch 
what I'm looking for in, in the range of like punk and new wave, you know? And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it doesn't make the mark for me, but you know, all right. Well, I guess that leads us into our next album, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, this, by the way, is a band I've never heard of until doing preparing for this this podcast. But uh, this is an album called Chinese Restaurant from the band Charisma. Charisma is a duo with Maurizio Arcieri and his wife Christina Moser. They collaborated with award-winning composer Vangelis on Chinese Restaurant. This album, or at least it's rumored so. His brother was their producer. And they recorded the album in Vangelis' studio. Uh, We should probably play some music before we go too far into it. So my pick for this album is a tune called What For? Charisma is Charisma's not a band I think I would have gone after. And, and, and Chinese Restaurant, uh, I've listened to a couple of their albums now, I have to say. Chinese Restaurant's probably the album I would have listened to out of those. But as I mentioned, I'd never heard of them before, and I, I probably would have been okay. You know, I probably would have been fine not really making them part of my, uh, my record catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, but on that note, how how do you feel about this, Joseph? Well, uh, this is another one of those bands that I'm excited um, to to track their uh, evolution mm-hmm. through the '80s. I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, this this is one of the the bands that I'm the most excited about discovering. I'm not super crazy about this album. Uh, this yeah. is one of those albums where so. What I like about Charisma, oh, and should note that when you search for Charisma, uh, you want to look for Charisma spelled K-R-I-S-M-A, but actually their first two albums were released under Charisma with a C-H rather than a K-R, so... I guess I guess that came from they blended their two names. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that worked exactly, but they blended their names to come up with the title. Yeah, um, and they were a um, Italian duo, but they moved to London before, oh, like when they started to actually start recording stuff. Yeah, and then in 1986 they moved to New York. Um, and the the top three Spotify songs for Charisma are off of this this album. So this is this nice. is uh, one of their um, most popular albums, apparently. So what I <laughs> like about Charisma is I like 
the interplay of the male and female vocals. Uh-huh. I like the whimsy, um, the kind of fragile whimsy of a lot of the, the songs. And I like the um, instrumentation and sort of these cool little moods that they set um, in some of the songs that are almost trance-like. Mm-hmm. None of the elements that I like about charisma can be found in the song that we just heard. No, I of course not. loathe <laughs> that song. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is by well, I was gonna... far my least favorite song off of this album. You, you, you had said that I picked a lot of songs that were your least favorite. And I was going to say, is this one of them? Because, yeah. because uh, now the reason I picked this song is because to me, it stuck out the most and oh, everything else. Oh, it out is... all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a sore thumb. Yeah. Everything else kind of felt the same to me. So what do you think about the song that we're, well, let's, let's listen to my pick. This is a song okay. called Sea Rock. This is rocking, go back rocking. Yeah, I do like that. I do like that song. It, you know, the energy's high. There's some bass. There's some, I mean, the vocals are cool. The It's a good sound. It's a cool sound. Um, I don't know where my brain was when I was listening to this album. Um, but again, I, I still say what for jumped out at me the most. <laughs> it jumped out and screamed. But But your song, your song was ultimately a far better song. Yeah, well, it jumps out at you and like your your song jumps out at you like a sore thumb, like poked in your eye repeatedly yeah. over and over yeah. again. That's how I feel yeah. about it. But <laughs> with, with salt and vinegar poured yeah. on it, right? Um, so anyways, yeah. So I think we've covered everything that I feel about th- this album. Um, yeah, I'm I'm. Very excited to hear what they do in the 80s. I think there's a lot of potential for this band. Oh, and just to go back to the that the song that I picked, Sea Rock, um, not an extraordinary, like extraordinarily interesting song as far as the songwriting goes, but it's just got this cool hypnotic little riff that just that i i I just really really like um uh, this is this is one of those that's one of those riffs that just like stick in my head for days um it should be noted that they had a 
um, at the time they had a minor hit with the song Lola, which was an original, not not a cover of the uh, the Kink song. So that was that was the the biggest right the the most successful song off of uh, their debut album Chinese Restaurant. All right. Well, moving into a band that 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 I find actually pretty interesting, uh, the history of the band as well as some of their music. Um, this is Wayne County and the Electric Chairs with their album The Electric Chairs. Came out in February of 1978. They had a slew of singles, including Max's Kansas City, which was written and performed to be the venue's theme song. Um, before we go too far, uh, can we kick in, in some music and listen to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went ahead and picked Max's Kansas City. Take a tip from me and get ready for the big parade. It's a place to be every night for happy holiday. The kids are jumping around, everybody's doing loop de loop. Just a making the rounds like a speed freak and a telephone booth. The downstairs is packed and the groupies are all dressed up. Originally, the lead singer Jane County was known as Wayne County. She she had a band called Wayne County and the Backstreet Boys, which I find hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I I think that that's awesome because at some point Jane County left to form uh, Wayne County and Electric Chairs, and they were just left as the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> so before now, we go any further, can I just jump in here real quick? Please, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So this is a band that we discovered uh, last season. Mm-hmm. So um, we actually covered their third and final album um, last season for 1979. So we have talked yeah. about this band before. So if it's ringing a bell, that's where it, that's where it comes from. We are in this episode. We are going back and we were we are covering the first two albums they did uh, mostly because rob you just you really loved their third album i um, i really did yeah, yeah no it was great yeah. it was great as as did i i feel like their third album is by far their best what do you think well it's de- it's definitely their best album mm-hmm. and I, I think it it really came from uh, Jane County being being really dynamic. She you know she had relationships with you know connections with a lot of uh, big names on the scene. She um, is famously connected to David Bowie and uh, you know a bunch of others. Um, their sound was unique. The songs they were doing were were crazy. Um, you know, interesting songs. So, but yeah, I, I, 
I think they're great. This is, however, a weaker album, sadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they recorded a single. Like I said, they recorded this this song, Max's Kansas City, as a single. Uh, but they originally did it in 1976, and this was back when Jane was the you know uh, a, a member of the Backstreet Boys. Um, they toured Holland in 1977, and they were opened for by the police. Like the police opened for them, so they were a band that had they had some pull, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so good good stuff, and uh, you know this might be this is their first album. It might it might be their weakest, um, but there are still some gems on it. I think there's some good mm-hmm. songs on it. Mm-hmm. So let me let me fill in a couple of the gaps here about some of the information that you gave. So they um so Jane County back then going by Wayne County started out in New York and was part of the New York underground like proto punk scene. Oh, yeah. Um and so I have it in my notes that the um, single Max's Kansas City was released in 75 and um, mm, really? got, yeah, and got uh, a fair amount of attention because Jane um, had a pretty infamous brawl with uh, a <laughs> member of the dictators uh-huh. and so was kind of high profile. Then um, she moved to London and formed the electric chairs. And I believe that the, this album, their debut album, the electric chairs was just, it wasn't Wayne County and the electric chairs. It was just the electric chairs, the electric chairs. And then the next two albums were Wayne County and the electric chairs. And so they re-recorded, um, Max's uh, Kansas City because the original right. was with the Backstreet Boys. I can't say that with a straight face either. <laughs> nope, nope, yeah. you cannot. This is by far my least favorite uh, of the their three albums. It is way yeah. too pub rock and boogie woogie with a, like a lot of rockability, rockability yeah. in it, and that's like three strikes and you are out. Well, that's that. That's part of my issue with it too. Is that yeah. it's it's too pub rock and it's not enough. It's not even it's not even close to being enough. Of what I liked about the third album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the debut album from a, a Dutch band called The Knits. This is another one of those bands that I'm kind of the most excited about discovering and, and uh, you know, following their evolution through the 80s. Um, this was released in 1978. It was actually self-released, so it was self-financed, and they released it themselves, and it led to them getting a, a record contract, I believe, with CBS. And we will actually be talking about by the by the end of this discussion. We we will talk about their second release as well, which I like a lot better. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to a cut off of this album called Tutti Ragazzi. So crazy what I'm doing to 
I actually would have picked this song as well, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, this song is, I mean, it, I am not a big fan of this album. I think mm. you said it when, you know, you, you mentioned that you like the other album quite a bit. Their, their mm-hmm. second, second album. I'm a huge fan of a huge fan of the album tent. And as well, I don't want to say huge. I'm not a huge fan. I like the album. I like several songs in the album. I think it's a much better album. Mm. Um, but one thing I noticed was that uh, one of the songs that I wanted to pick on that second album was the song that you picked on their first album. Yeah, there were, I, I'm not quite sure what the deal is um, with that. So either some of the songs were recorded on, um, re-releases of tent um, some of the songs off of their first album which is was not really um was just a limited run or may or possibly they just took some of the highlights of the first album included on the original release of the second i would that i didn't realize that crossover until about like 20 minutes before we started recording. So I'm ah, not yeah. sure, sure what the story is with that, but yes, this song does appear on both of the albums. Yeah, well, I, I, I find this song kind of fun actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay. Um, my, my biggest criticism of this album, their debut album, it is way too Beatlesque, And, um, there are songs that sound like they want to be like the zombies and the Beatles. And I just, I find that really uninteresting. Um, and I am pleased to say that their second album, they shed a lot of that. Moving into our next album, we're going to talk about uh, a band that, was it last season we first uh, mm-hmm. were introduced? Yeah. So Fabulous Poodles. And this is their album, Mirror Stars, which um, if I remember correctly, it's the name of the American release, which is a compilation of their first two albums, mm-hmm. The Fabulous Poodles and Unsuitable. That sounds um, right. Yeah. So it did pretty well in the U.S., reaching number 61 on the Billboard 200 in 1979 the album was released in 78 um it got them on tour it got them to go on tours with tom petty and the ramones and when it was released apparently it outsold the clash and the jams first albums yeah so we i was i was hoping you would bring that up because because we were kind of scratching our heads about that when we were talking about their third album. So their third album and the Clash's third album were both released in 1979. Of course, the Clash's third right. album was Lending Calling. That was not, yep. not released until <laughs> December of 79. So the fact that 19, in 1979, the Fabulous Poodles sold more albums than the clash did makes a lot more sense because um, the previous year mere stars came out 
and was a moderate hit in the U.S., which The Clash at that point, as far as I know, hadn't even touched the top 200. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that 1979 was the last year that that was true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, likely, likely. Um, you know, I was looking at reviews and comments by fans of the band, fans of this album in particular. Um, apparently, um, American fans might not have known this, but people say now that despite being a, a compilation of their first two albums, Mirror Stars happened to leave off the best songs of those two mm-hmm. albums. Mm-hmm. Like for some reason, when they put this one together, they left off the biggest, you know, the biggest and the best, which I don't quite understand. Mm. Um, at any rate, uh, we've talked a bit much about this. Let's go into, let's go into a song from them. Uh, I picked off of this album, a tune called Toy Town People. Toy Town People. As you mentioned, uh, this was the first Fabulous Poodles album released in the U.S. So it was um, it was a compilation of their first two albums, but really the bulk of it was from their second album. So there's only, I believe there were only four songs off of their first album and the rest mm-hmm. were off of the second album. Um, I haven't have you gone and listened to the the original first two albums by uh, the Fabulous Poodles? So I listened a little bit to um, to un- Unsuitable, mm-hmm. and mostly because Unsuitable almost gets you know kind of crossed crossed over with this one. They you mm-hmm. know people will will say it's they'll they'll call it Unsuitable or they'll call it mm-hmm. uh, Mirror Stars, which is you know they're not the same album, but mostly that's where all the songs, that's where most of the songs come from. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I did listen to that. Um, I actually think that unsuitable is a stronger album. Oh, you know. by far the yeah. four least favorite songs off of mere stars are the four songs that come from their first album. Um, mm-hmm. Do not care for that stuff at all. Uh, but the rest of the stuff is okay. This is, this is very, uh, a lot of it sounds very much like uh, what we heard off of their third album. So it's it's very right. much a, um, you know, angry young man sort of a, a sound, which That's right. neither of us are, are super crazy about. And yeah. I think that you did pick the, probably the the best song um, off the album. I, I, I do like uh, Toy Town People. 
Yeah, I, I'm not crazy about this album much, but mm-hmm. I, I like the song. I like the energy. I like the fact that it's kind of it's got this like ska vibe that kicks it off, you know. Okay, let's move on to um, Wayne County and the Electric Chair's second album. This, in my estimation, is a vast improvement uh, um, over their debut. It uh, is known by actually two different names. Um, so it was originally released as Storm the Gates of Heaven, but uh, sometimes it's also known as Man Enough to Be a Woman. And um, I think that we've already talked about Wayne County and the electric chairs, probably enough. So let's listen to the first song that we're going to feature tonight. This is the alternate title track called Man Enough to Be a Woman. I got a transsexual feeling. It's hard to be true to the one that's really you. I've got a scandalous feeling It's hard to be true When they point and stare at you Conditioned to portraying The mask of masculinity Another blend of different shades I am what I am I don't give a damn I dig this song quite a bit and I'm not, again, I'm going to say this again. I'm not crazy about the album. I'm not crazy about the sound that they're using. This song to me is not, I guess it's the closest to new wave, but it just, you know, there's that guitar in there and it just sounds like it's a ripping rock song. I mean, it's, it's like borderline metal, man. It's just so, you know, there's this, there's this power to it. Uh, you know, I dig the song. I dig, I dig the album. Okay. But it's not quite, um, you know, it's not quite what I want in a, a punk or new wave set. So I think both of us are on record as, as stating that their third and final album are our favorite album. And you look at the progression between the three albums mm-hmm. and what a huge leap each one is each from one. the album before. Yeah, totally, right. Totally. What a bummer that they didn't put out a fourth album because if they had continued that progression, their fourth album would have been like a stone cold masterpiece. Oh yeah. No, when I was in right? high school, I would have loved to listen to them when I was in high school. Like, you know, stuff yeah. that they, like, I want to hear stuff that they might be making in 1986. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, 1987. I think it would have been killer. I think it would have been amazing. I don't love this song, um, Man Enough to Be a Woman, but I I featured it because it was one of the stronger songs off of the album. Yeah. Um, And so this is an album that was released in 1978, and um, Tom Robinson Band's first album was released in 1978. Right. And those are the two albums that I can think of in this genre, the first two albums that directly address like 
gay uh, gay rights and trans um, gender issues for the first time. Um, yeah, very very important that, that we've just yeah yeah so yeah. so definitely ahead of their um, time for sure as far as um, you know directly addressing some of these issues in a song on an album. So yeah. I think that is of note in itself. And to boot, it's a pretty solid song. It's a pretty solid song. Yeah, it yeah. is. You know, I I, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on it. You know, I'm I'm not. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's just not what I wanted for for the set for a punk rock and new wave set. But the vocals are cool. The mm -hmm. vocals are cool. I feel like they almost don't fit with with the instrumentation, which I think is a really cool aspect of the song. <laughs> that sounds funny, but I think that that's part of what I like about it is that it's, it's kind of a, it's a weird song. Um, but, but yeah, it's, just, it's solid. Mm -hmm. So are we going to play a second song off of this album? Yeah. Well, we're going to go to your, um, your pick. Uh, you would, you had actually referenced this song last season when you originally yeah. talked about um, their third album. So it was not a surprise to mm. me at all that you picked it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought that might be the case. I'm still very disappointed in you. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. So uh, I have a th this song has a, a place in my heart. Okay. Uh, the, the song I'm talking about is I had too much to dream last night, which was originally kicked out by the electric prunes. It's been covered by like everybody under the sun. Um, the damned, uh, my favorite web wilder covered it. And it's just, I don't know. I absolutely love this song, you know? So anytime I get a chance to play a good version of it, because trust me, there are some pretty crappy versions of this tune. I will definitely do that. And I think that Wayne County and the Electric Chairs have a pretty, they have a fair version of this song. Last night your shadows fell upon my lonely room. I touched your golden hair and tasted your perfume. Your eyes were filled with love, I, I find this to be a totally pointless and useless version of this song. It's a good version, but <laughs> why? I mean, why not just go and listen to the original? Uh, I, I, I feel like you have done the deep dives, deep cuts equivalent of walking up to the the 
this album and slapping it in the face going, Hey, the most interesting thing about this album is a song that you didn't write. I but didn't say, I didn't say that. This, yeah. I didn't say that the most interesting thing about this album was this song. And I didn't even say that this was my favorite song. I just had a chance to play it and I went for it. <laughs> it's half your podcast. You, you can do whatever you want. That's right. Damn it. <laughs> Um, so that being the case, how about we go into our next album? We're going to talk about the Yellow Magic Orchestra. They're a Japanese band, uh, Japanese electronic band. This is their album, Solid State Survivor. Um, and it was released in September of 79. They were formed in Tokyo in 1978. And these guys are, they are pioneers in the field of electronic pop. I mean, they... They played a key role in the development of synth pop, electropop, techno, and probably responsible for m music that currently, even currently modern day music that that uses video game sounds, you know, stuff that's still being done. Um, it was a popular sound in the 80s. I remember it all through the 80s, but more and more I'm, I'm hearing it today. So these guys are probably the, the key they're probably responsible for for all of that um it's their second album and their most successful album in japan as a matter of fact let's uh let's hear something by them this is behind the mask So here's the question, top yeah. of mind question for for you. Um, what you've heard uh -huh. so far from the, from the albums that you're familiar with, Yellow Magic Orchestra or Kraftwerk? Ooh, I gotta say Kraftwerk actually. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Not yeah. me. I I I am not familiar with yellow magic orchestra yeah i prefer this way over very uh -huh. much over um the craft work stuff this is this is my kind of like early synth pop yeah um it's it's much more sophisticated it's much more melodic it's denser um and it kind of goes because so much of craft work stuff that i've heard just kind of feels like fun with synthesizers whereas yellow magic orchestra they're 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 doing some pretty sophisticated stuff well, here yeah there's there is no arguing that these guys were skilled at what they were doing i mean mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. this whole album is pretty tight as far as the sound goes um and it baffles my mind it's just not a sound that i'm i'm nuts about you know it's not a sound mm. I'm, I'm crazy about yeah this is like um 
this is the kind of 70s and 80s new wave synth music that you know the 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 people behind doing the soundtrack for stranger things was was oh yeah thinking about you know Absol- it's very absolutely. much in that vein yeah this, yeah and this is actually more of what i was trying to get across earlier this is this is that mm-hmm. science fiction movie kind of mm-hmm. low resonating kind of droning science fiction sound done with computers and sense it's and it's cool stuff i mean it, it really is it's just not something i want to listen yeah. to all the time but it's 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 neat I I had never heard of this band. Were you familiar with this band at all? No, nah, not at all. Well, mm. uh, so there's one thing. They're otherwise known as YMO, and YMO sticks in my head as I have heard that name, but mm. I have I couldn't tell you in what context, and I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard any of their music. So, well, they first came on my radar because um, two of the founding members of the band passed away this year yeah. because uh, they were pioneers in this kind of music um, actually came up a couple of times on NPR. Uh-huh. That's how they got on my radar. I went back, uh, I went and checked them out went, Oh, we definitely need to, to be talking about this band. Yeah. So moving forward, we will cover every yellow magic orchestra album released as it comes up chronologically. Um, I am digging this album. Um, it is mostly instrumental. So I, I think there's probably more vocals on this album than there is on a typical Kraftwerk album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, I would say, you know, minute to minute, there is more time spent without vocals yeah. than there are with vocals. To, to me, this is an ambiance kind of album. Mm, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing, I, nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. So I learned a couple interesting things in mm. reading about this album, one was that Behind the Mask was actually written for a Seiko watch commercial. Mm. And uh, and it was covered by Michael Jackson for the album Thriller, but got removed for legal issues. Like, they, oh. they were not cool with that. <laughs> ah, that is funny. That would be really interesting. I'd love to hear, to hear. it. I, yeah. I cannot imagine what a Michael Jackson interpretation of the song would sound like. On, on the album Thriller, even. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's listen to my song. I picked the title track, Solid State Survivor.
you happen to pick my favorite song on the album. Um, mm -hmm. And what I feel about this song, to me, it's like, it's like synth, uh, you know, uh, Munst the, the Munsters theme song done with synth. <laughs> um, it's all through the song. It has this like kind of eerie, spooky vibe to it. Uh, kind of, you know, it's playful. In, in the instrumentation, it's playful in the music, but it's like there's this kind of pinging, peering, piercing sound that that just kind of, you know, that that kind of energy just kind of sets me on edge. I, I like it a lot. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Well, um, so the singer doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but uh, I think um, the the composition of the of the vocal part is yeah. pretty interesting. Oh yeah, it is um, interesting. And it's not just as opposed to craftwork, it's not just synthesizers. Mm -hmm. Um so there's so there's other instruments in there as well. Um which I really like. I, I like this song a lot. Yeah, no it's it's very solid. I I, I enjoyed it actually quite a bit. Well, we can move on to an album by Tom Verlaine. Of course, uh, Tom Verlaine's first solo album entitled Tom Verlaine. Tom Verlaine uh, sadly passed away. Tom Verlaine of, of the band Television sadly passed away this January of this year. Um, he cut this solo album in 1979, and it actually features some television songs that weren't used... Uh, by that band, as well as Fred Smith, television's bassist. Uh, even though reviews were pretty good, actually, for this album, Tom Verlaine's debut album didn't didn't really catch commercially. Um, I think we should, before we go into it, listen to a tune off of this one. I picked a song called Souvenir from a Dream. got a couple things to say about this uh, about this song but also about the album as a whole uh, i feel like the songwriting here is pretty good but the sound doesn't really do it for me um i get a lot of like 1960s rock and roll inspiration uh, maybe even some like velvet underground or I don't know. It's not it's not what I want to hear when looking again for a post-punk or a punk or a new wave song or a new wave album. But I I think that 
you know, he might have he might have had like a niche for himself uh, as a solo artist, but totally different than television or, or I don't know, not quite what I what I was looking for. So how do you feel about it? Well, totally different than television, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. It feels like he is trying to position himself. It's always so dangerous to second guess what what a person's motivation yeah. is. So taken with the caveat that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But, but my sense is it feels like in this album he's trying to per- – position himself as more of a like an american rocker mm-hmm. a la like tom petty yeah yeah, yeah or something yeah. like that exactly and um not working for me now this song of course has been is on our playlist and i've been listening to this playlist over and over again every time this song comes on i go oh my gosh i love this song and then his vocals start <laughs> and you know, I was always kind of eh about his vocals in television, hmm. but the but just the kind of music that they were doing and the way that it was mixed and produced it worked out made better. a lot more sense. Yeah. Whereas here, they're like really upfront and he just does not have the voice for it. This guy cannot stay in tune to say if his life. Now, it could be that that is that he was fine with that and that was a, an, an intentional stylistic choice but it is rough and yeah. he does a yeah. lot of the background vocals and his background vocals are even more out of tune than his lead vocals <laughs> and man it just it just like shuts this song down for me i think it's a, a solid enough song mm-hmm. The songwriting is is fine, but I've never been a, like a huge fan of his songwriting to begin with. You know, if I were to put together like a dream team, late 70s New York supergroup, mm-hmm. I might actually pick him as like the lead guitarist. Yeah, yeah. But I would not pick him as a vocalist well, or as as a songwriter. Yeah, I, I can tell you. I, I think that the guitar in here is really solid. Some um, great guitar yeah, sound. The guitar is great. I think the lyrics, the songwriting is great. The vocals I find okay. Um, mm. But but like you said, he it, it sounds like he's going for that that kind of, you know, seventies rocker a la Tom Petty. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's that hit it that hit it right on the head. I do think that the style that he's singing in, I do think that that's intentional. Like I feel like he's doing what he mm-hmm. wants to do and he's confident in that, you know? Um which kind of gave this album a little more clout to me. You know, I kind of was like, oh, okay. Um but again it's it's not the sound I want right now. <laughs> You know, it's not not the vibe I'm looking for. So, well, I got to so, say that I, I love them better in television. You know, mm, and that's mm, and that's mm. me. I I actually agree with you. I, I think I would I would pick um, a television album over this album. It's it's not. There's some really nice sounding stuff, but it is not very interesting, I don't think. Got it. Um, yeah. In the same way that I don't think Tom Petty is particularly interesting either. Uh, but that's that's a, just a personal thing. So before we move on, there's one song in particular that we have to talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Kingdom Come. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so tying back to in season one when we did our deep dive on David Bowie, mm-hmm. for some reason you picked, I can't remember which album it was off of, um, you picked your song was his cover mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I to this day, I, I am speechless like at your <laughs> i mean such an completely off the rail choice um just that's, that's one, why I, that's why i'm here oh joseph <laughs> yes david bowie's uh, is kind of infamous for doing just god awful covers of other artists um songs done some good ones but done a lot of pretty bad ones yeah this is one of the worst um this is the first time I've heard the original. Uh, I do not like this song, but at least listening to the original, David Bowie's version, I couldn't even make a sense of like, is this even a song? Like, what is this? What is the point of this song? Like, take off the table whether it's a good song or a bad song. It just, it didn't even sound like a real song. <laughs> it just, whereas here, it makes a little bit more sense, but still not, um, That's, do not care for it. But, yeah. now, but if it, I, here it sounds like a song. Yeah. If I remember correctly too, uh, Tom Verlaine was supposed to play guitar on David Bowie's mm. cover and David mm-hmm. Bowie didn't like it. So oh. he, he had, oh, I forget who he had do it, but he had somebody else do it instead. Oh, so. now <laughs> see... That's not the way I was hoping that story would go. I was hoping that you would say, (laughs) then he came in and listened to what David Bowie had and said, fuck no, he threw his guitar down and stormed out of the studio. Alas, I I do hope that there's a happy ending there. And somehow Tom Verlaine is like, I'm so glad that I got pushed off of that project. (laughs) I still stand by my choice as far as, uh, David Bowie, though. I think it's interesting. <laughs> okay, you you die on that hill. Yeah, I will. <laughs> cool. And this is where we have to stop. We have run out of time. So um, we've, we've gotten through a good chunk of these albums. So many to go through. Uh, yeah. So this is definitely a two-parter. Uh, here are the albums that we are going to cover next episode. Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club's only release called English Garden, Reckless Eric, The Stiff Years, The A's debut album, The A's, Charisma's second album, Hibernation, The Sports' second album called Don't Throw Stones, and The Knits' second album, entitled tent okay rob um we are rapidly running out of time any last thoughts before we wrap up no i think uh i think i said it best when i said i can't wait for 1980 (laughs) (laughs) well we've we've still got a bunch of other stuff to to get through so um the part two will be released next week So keep your eye open for it, um, and we will talk to you very, very soon. 
See ya.